continue our series, Return to the Fear of God, Return to the Fear of God. Uh, beginning in verse 9, actually I want to uh, read in verse 6 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I'm still being, the fan is a little too close to me, but I want it blowing. Thank you, thank you. Verse 6, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of that place Pezra, Perez, Uzzah, to this day. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're grateful for all that our hearts have felt. We thank you that the Spirit of God is here. Lord, it is such a blessing to step in these doors and feel your presence you promised, oh God, that you would inhabit, inhabit the praises of the saints, and we know that you're comfortable in, our, in, our, in, this, in this sanctuary. May we continue to welcome you here through our praise and through our reverence for who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name in the church that amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Return. Return to the fear of the Lord. Some of you are like me, watched in horror January 20th, January 2020, on the 6th of that day, while insurrection was actually taking place uh, before our eyes. For four hours, the state capitol building was under siege by thousands of enraged followers of the former president. Many of the insurrectionists took selfies and live recordings of themselves committing criminal acts. Some bragged, especially the leaders of the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. They unashamedly were putting America on notice. They were letting the world know that they were unafraid to do whatever was necessary to stop an election that was not stolen. Somebody say amen. The election was not stolen. If you were paying attention on last week, you would have noticed on news outlets that several key trials were coming to an end, particularly the trials for two of the leading members of the Proud Boys. The primary leader of the Proud Boys and his, one of his followers who attacked the Capitol were convicted and being prepared to be sentenced to serve time in jail. Now, what caught my attention before the sentences were announced were how each of these men who took selfies and bragged about 
how they had no fear. Both of them cried. They cried. And they pleaded for leniency. The head of the Proud Boys got 22 years. He asked the judge, please, this is a bad day in my life. I have a daughter who won't see me if I go to jail and literally shed tears. Second man was given eight years, the one that took the shield and broke the window and made it possible for people to climb through and rush uh, the police with, who were inside the Capitol uh, building. He too cried, talked about his young wife and child. And, but my question was, as I watched these men shed tears, is what would make these fearless men who were all smiles on January 6th cry inside the courtroom? There's a simple but profound answer. One word explains why these two tough guys broke down in tears. It's called consequences. Consequences. When we stand before someone with authority that can punish us for our behavior, the strongest will tremble in fear. We live in a time where mass murderers, as they are committing their crime, they'll live stream what they're doing to a, a uh, an eagerly awaiting audience. People want to see that. That goes viral. Unafraid of consequences, it seems. I'm always amazed that people who are mass murderers, the first thing they do when they're about to get caught, they're so brave is they kill themselves. They don't want to face the consequences. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, in, in, in the form of a reminder why there will be with it, why, why there will be a day when the most unafraid will be afraid. Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Tell somebody, fear him now, or fear him later. Every knee will bow, and every tongue shall confess. On last Sunday, we learned what it means to fear God what it means to fear God. I'm going to share that definition with you again. The fear of God is an inward attitude of humble reverence towards God, an inward attitude of humble reverence towards God in response to what he has revealed about himself. The humble attitude of reverence comes from what God has revealed about himself that results in outward expressions of obedience to the word. So it's a humble, inward humble humility based on what God has revealed about himself 
that is evidenced through acts of obedience. There's no such thing as fearing God where there's no obedience. When you fear God, you will be obedient. The lack of fear of God is evidenced through disobedience. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his robe filling the temple. And it was after he saw the Lord, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. Humble, reverential respect for who God revealed himself to be resulted in Isaiah's desire to be changed. And so any genuine fear of God will always be evidence through obedience. When we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6, we are invited by the Holy Spirit to witness an unforgettable experience in the life of the second king of Israel named David. What David experienced on that day would have put most of us in cardiac arrest. We would have needed a defibrillator to respond and recover from what David experienced. Listen to what the scripture says. The Bible says, David was afraid of the Lord that day. That day, that day. Fear him now or fear him later. On that day, something happened that stopped David in his tracks. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, Jerusalem. But David took it inside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained there in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. I want you to highlight that part on that day. David was afraid <laughs> of the Lord. David was afraid. I don't know about you, but I've had those times when God has struck fear in my heart. And he was afraid because right before his eyes, a man who was totally healthy, doing something that he thought was good, God struck him dead. He dropped dead. And there was no question in anybody's mind that this wasn't a heart attack. This wasn't a heat stroke. This was the hand of God saying, return. The Lord took Uzzah in front of Eric. He took him out. And so that shook David up. Now, the expression that where it says David was afraid of the Lord, it literally means he experienced holy terror. This is extreme fear. This is when you can't even talk. You can't see straight. Feel like your heart's about to stop. And I don't know what to even compare it with in terms of our life experiences. If you've ever been in a life and death situation and you just knew it was over, that's how David, he didn't know what God was going to do next. We used to be uh, taught not to swear because God could strike you dead. We actually believed that. So when people did it, I was like moving away from them. It's like, whoa, this, well, this, is, this is about to go down. 
Although David didn't fully understand God's harsh actions at that time, the fear of God changed what David was doing. It stopped him in the track. I ain't going any further with this. This mission stops. When you are afraid of God, you may be going north, but the fear of God will say, put the brakes on. We ain't going any further. This ain't no haunted house. This is the real thing. The Bible actually says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. When God is angered, when you pick a fight with God, I want you to know that he is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. He has never lost. He has never lost. You will not win that battle. The fear of the Lord stopped David in his tracks. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it inside into the house of Obed-Edom. He didn't, he didn't move it to the place he had planned. And this brings us to my first principle is this. You can disrespect God by doing the right thing the wrong way. You're doing something you think is right, but it's the wrong way. Now, what King David desired to do is revealed in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Samuel chapter 6. You want to underline this when you get an opportunity. The Bible says, David again brought together all of the able young men of Israel, 30,000. And all of the men went into Bathlah, or Balah, in Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Jehovah Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubs of the Ark. Now, what David desired to do with the Ark of the Covenant was a good thing. He and all the men decided that they're going to move the, the Ark of the Covenant from Balah or Basla to Jerusalem. Now, what motivated David is after he became the second king of Israel, a house was built for David, a palace was built for David. And he got comfortable and he, he was just so excited and appreciative. And then he thought, I'm in this nice spot, but the Ark of the Covenant, which was a visible, tangible, physical representation of God's presence. It was the holiest, sacred piece of material in the pre that, that God allowed the Israelites to have. The Ark of the Covenant didn't have a permanent place. So they said, how am I going to be cool and comfortable in my spot when the presence that is represented by the Ark of the Covenant of God doesn't have a look? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That's a good thing, isn't it? Amen. He decided to relocate the ark. Now, he consulted with uh, the 30,000 young men and others, and they all agreed moving the ark of the Jerusalem was a right and good thing, and I'm wrong with it in, as far as they could tell. Now, how many of you know that there are some good things that you think God would be pleased with if you did them? There's some things that you, 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 you remember... Uh, this, this comes to mind, the story in Matthew 16, and Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And, and, and then they talk about who 
Uh, the men said that Jesus was, and then said, who do you say that I am? Then Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and then Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. Simon by Jonah upon this kind of rock, I'm going to build my church, and so forth. And then the Bible says, now he began to teach them that he had to go to Jerusalem and die, and on the third day he would be raised again. He would, he would be resurrected. Peter had a problem with that. The Bible says in that section of Scripture there, verses 21, 22, that Peter, he said, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> Enough about this death and dying foolishness. That's my translation. That's not going to happen on my watch. I'm all for you being the son of living God, Emmanuel with us. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with the miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and you walk. I'm cool with that. But let's not talk about you going to die. Now, it was a good thing for Peter to be concerned and unwilling for Jesus to die. But it wasn't, his, it wasn't the right thing. He, 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 he was, actually, he rebuked Jesus. He got up in Jesus' face. No, you ain't dying. And, of course, we know that Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> you, you are only concerned about the temporary. And so because of Peter's concern about what he could see and feel and touch, it was a good thing to be not wanting Jesus to die, but it was wrong for him to rebuke Jesus. He can do a good thing the wrong way. It gets even more uh, interesting. Uh, uh, Jesus says, go to the garden with me. And uh, he has Peter, James, and I said, pray with me, the inner circle. And every time he would go back after he said, Lord, not my will, thy will be done. Uh, nevertheless, if it be possible, let the cup pass. And, just, and he'd go back and Peter, James, and John be knocked out with the rest of those jokers. But when the guards came with Judas to apprehend Jesus, Peter who was a concealed carrier for the three years he was with Jesus, he never stopped carrying a weapon. He didn't just find that knife, that, that sword. He had it on him. The Bible says that he did a good thing. He wanted to, he, to protect Jesus. He took out his concealed weapon, and he, sli he, was so, he sliced the brother's ear, just like a wolf, took his ear off. I got you, Jesus. I told you no death and dying when, when I'm around. But when Jesus stooped down and he picked up the, the, the guard's ear and put it back on, he says, they that live by the sword will pass. You're doing a good thing, but the wrong way. That's not how the kingdom of heaven is won. So you can do a good thing the wrong way. And when you do it the wrong way, it dishonors God. It's an act of irreverence, especially if you know the right way. If you know the right way, Peter took off a brother's ear. If you're single and you want to get married, that's a good thing. But it's wrong for you to pursue your husband or your wife in unbiblical, ungodly ways. It's a marriage, the Bible says, he who finds a wife, findeth a good thing. Isn't that what the scripture says? But, but, but you want to be led by the Lord into that relationship, 
and you're not going to be doing this in a way that dishonors God. And I don't want to be any more detailed than that. There's a good way to find a husband and wife, and there's a wrong way. <laughs> you may be trying to take care of your family and earn as much money as you possibly can. That's a good thing, but the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. When you look about what's going on in climate, we, the, I, every time I hear the weatherman say, there's an earthquake coming and there's a, 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 a tornado, a hurricane, uh, I'm waiting for them to say, uh, 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 hurricane category six or seven. I believe we're going to get there. They can tell you what's going to happen. They can't stop it. Say, like, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. Of course, it's helpful to know. But what needs to change is that we need to stop fracking. We need to shut down some of these vehicles. But the love of money is what's keeping people pursuing things that ultimately, if the Lord doesn't come back, we're going to be in a position where we can't even come outside. It's going to be that hot. We were in Texas for four or five days. I don't think we came out. It's like 110. I lived there for nine years. It was never that hot. You go on vacation to fry. You can't even go to the beach. <laughs> You like a fried piece of steak. <laughs> but that ain't keeping people, that's not keeping people home. You know, still going down to Las Vegas, it's flooded. You can take your jet skis. I'm going to the next casino. <laughs> now, why was David's good intention an act of disrespect to God? There are two reasons I want to share as to why God was being disrespected, why David was not exercising the fear of God. One thing, he failed to include God in his decision about bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He and his buddies decided, yeah, it's a good thing to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And it was, but he never inquired of God. Now, what's interesting about David is that that's something he normally did. When David had to make major decisions, he included God in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, we see David, when he made a difficult decision, he would go to God. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, so not only did he inquire of the Lord, he waited. And when God answered, he, he so, so the Lord said to David, go up. For you will doubtless, I will doubtless deliver the Philistines in your hand. So he would pray. Here's another example. Verse 23. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephahim. Therefore, David, he did what? He inquired of the Lord and he said, shall I go up and circle around behind them? So David did as the Lord commanded. And he struck down the Philistines and they, as they were fleeing from Gibeon. How many of you knows God is not obligated to bless our mess? You make a decision, and then you say, all right, God, get him, God. Pay these bills, Lord. God is not obligated to bless our decisions. 
You cannot make decisions for God without first consulting him. And so it's disrespectful to make major decisions in your life as a Christian without praying and asking God. The Bible says, any, any man who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men liberally. And, and pray without ceasing. So prayer should be the habit of a Christian to consult God. Lord, what should I do regarding this choice that I'm about to make? So when you make it, you know that you received as you waited for God to answer. You got a directive from God. But if you go on and act and you didn't include God, that's disrespectful. It's like a wife being, you know, you being married and your husband decides he's going to go to, he's going to go on vacation. And a month later, he comes home and says, oh, by the way, she said, where you been? Well, don't worry about it. What do you mean, don't worry about it? Oh, uh, you must know, I was in Africa. I was just enjoying, uh, I was enjoying the, you know, the, the mother culture and heritage, and I'm back. So it was, no, no, that would be a total act of disrespect to your wife. You never consult, oh, you went out and you, 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 you brought a brand new this or that. And you never consulted your, your, your spouse before you cut that check. That's an act of disrespect. And so when we decide what we're going to do, even if it's in the Lord's name, but we have not consulted him and we cannot confirm that what we're doing, because sometimes God has already revealed his will. And so you can act on him because it's not something that you need to ask what he's already told you. But if you can't demonstrate that the word confirms it, then you're acting on your own. And that's disrespectful. That's irreverence to God. That says, I don't fear God, but I expect him to bless my decisions. David failed to honor God's requirement for how the Ark of the Covenant should be made, should be moved. He placed the Ark on the new cart. Great. He got two guys to volunteer, two brothers, sons of Obed-Edom, not Obed-Edom, but uh, Abinadad's two sons. One's name was uh, Uzzah. Please don't name your son Uzzah. And the other was Ohio. He got them. They, I could just see the pastor. I need two volunteers. You want to move the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. I really believe that before you accept a, a, uh, a responsibility to serve, first you need to consult the Lord because if I make you mad, you're going to quit. <laughs> but if the Lord told you to do it, even if I make you mad, you're not going to quit because you'd be quitting on God. But more importantly... God had designed a way for the Ark of the Covenant to be transported. He had selected the Levites who were, a, who were a branch of the priesthood, the sons of Korah. And they were supposed to carry the Ark on wooden sticks with a, a ring, a stick would go through the ring. And then the Ark of the Covenant, this case that carried the, the Ten Commandments and the showbread and the, and the rod of Aaron. They were supposed to carry that, and then they had the cherubims on top. And in between the two angels facing each other, God would supernaturally, this, this kind of glory would appear. That's when, when Moses went in. He was the only one that could go in. The, the, the temple that Moses was in, the tent of meeting, it would just light up because the presence of God. I like it that Joshua, the Bible said, he wouldn't even leave. He just slept outside of the tent of meeting, just in case. 
just in case God showed. So God had predetermined in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 31, verse 9, how the Ark of the Covenant should, should have been moved. David chose to have these two volunteers. Every one of us has an appointed assignment from God that you are anointed to do. And you have, like the Levites, they had divine authority to do it. But when you decide to operate outside of your appointed assignment without the anointing of God, you don't have the authority of God. And so now you put yourself in harm's way. That's why the church is so messed up. Everybody's an elder. Everybody's a pastor. Everybody's a preacher. You know, we got churches here and there. And God didn't, you just, you, God didn't send you. You just went. You, the, the church has no power and authority in the world because we're not anointed to do what we're putting our hands on. I know that's not a popular message. Oh, you know, the, the women should be elders. No, you shouldn't have a single woman who's an elder. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Bible. Apostle who? You are operating out of an anointing and an assignment that you were never given. And so now you're carrying something that is sacred. You're carrying the word of God. You are a representative of, of, of God as a spokesperson for him. But he never sent you. You just went. You're other in Ohio volunteering for something that could kill you, but more importantly, damage the church of Jesus Christ. We have a crazy church today because the church is out of order. You should serve where you have been appointed and anointed because there's authority that comes with it. These brothers volunteered. They're helping out David. David ignored the word of God, which is recorded in Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. The Levites, the Levites, they had the responsibility to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Are you, I believe that every single one of us, no matter what assignment spiritually you've been given, whatever your gifts are, you, have an, you are ordained by God to do that. You don't have to be a pastor to be ordained, to be appointed, to be set apart for a specific assignment. And if it came from the hand of God, that means it's sacred, it's holy. And if you are not serving in that capacity, then you are in that sense, you are disrespecting God by not using the gifts that God has given you. That's why God, that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, of the servant who buried his town, he says, You lazy, irresponsible, godless servant. If you really knew what I was like, you'd have taken the call that I have on your life seriously. And so David had a good idea, but he's going about the wrong way. It was not his job to move the Ark of the Covenant without consulting God. It was not right for him to just pick people out of the crowd to move the Ark of the Covenant. God had already established in his word how it was supposed to happen. How The way we know the way church is supposed to happen is we go to the scriptures. We don't just make it up as we go along. That's why the church is in such a mess today. You can do good things the wrong way, and when you do, and you should know better, it's irreverent. 
When God is reverent, we talked about this last week, there's something about when people fear God, there is a holiness about that place. And it's appealing. Let's go on. Here's the second thing. You dishonor God when religious rituals replace worship. When just you, uh, back in David's time, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, during the period of the judges and the transferring, transitioning from judges to the prophets, from the prophets to the kings, the first king of Israel was identified in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and that was Sam, Saul. So here's, here's uh, an example of what I mean when you, when you put the, a picture of God becomes more important than the person of God, the symbol. The Philistines are about to attack the Israelites. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hands of the enemy. They really believed that the Ark of the Covenant, that having a cross around your neck, that having a big old family Bible listening back in the day, we listened to Louise Williams, our house was protected. <laughs> we waited for, I'm coming up the rough side of Mountain, Luther Barnes, man, that was it. We good. I almost got into a, a, a fight with a, a deacon. I was visiting a church and uh, we was wrestling over the communion. You know, the deacon served the communion. I'm like, okay, okay. The biggest gun I've ever seen in my life was at Union Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And the littlest guy, <laughs> that gun came from here all the way up here. He couldn't have taken that gun out if his life depended on it. When we settle for external symbols to prove spirituality over personal relationship with the Lord, we dishonor God. There's so many Christians who are more concerned about having a form of godly. They want people to think we're spiritual because we can quote a few Bible verses. We say we pray X amount of times, and then that becomes for us, that's what spirituality is. Where, when in fact, spirituality is not religious ritual, it's right relationship with God. Remember, remember here's, here's the example I, I want to share from uh, Luke chapter 18. The Bible says that two men went to the temple to pray. Okay, and that's a ritual. Prayer, is anything wrong with prayer? Nope, they went to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, high-ranking religious official. He goes to church, and he goes to pray. And when he gets there, he sees a second man. Oh, God. Tax collector. In fact, tax collectors were so hated by Jews that they didn't even normally call them. They called them sinners. So the Pharisee begins to exercise what he believed to be spirituality, the external evidence that had no internal, internal proof. He began to pray, said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner who extorts and he lies and he robs. He said, I fast twice a week. I give my tithes. I come to the temple. He had all of the externals that would say he was spiritual. But the scripture says, but the tax collector was so humble and just broken up by his sin, he wouldn't even lift up his hand. 
He kept looking down and says, he kept pounding his chest, Lord, have mercy on me. He understood that God is not interested. And as Isaiah said, he said, Isaiah the prophet said, well did Isaiah, Jesus speaking, prophesy of religious people who focus on symbols and impressing people excellent. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouths, but their heart, they have no, their hearts are far from me. And what they have done is exchange the true word of God by teaching the doctrine of men. And, and, and they worship me, he said, they worship me in vain. It disrespects God when we pretend to be what we're not. When we think having the right words, Christianese, is what makes us spiritual. When the truth is, we don't apply the word of God in our lives, especially in the areas where we disagree. The, the proof of your spirituality will be the fruit, and the fruit will be evidenced by how you respond to those who God brings into your path. You did, we disrespect God when we make the picture more important than, important than the purpose. Just the person. If, you could just, if we could just get the Ark of the Covenant, if we could just have Holy Communion. I'm going to call this the person who's a deaconess and going to her church. And living in any kind of, I just got, I'm a deaconess, I got to get there. What do you mean? You don't like them, they don't like you, and you pass it out Holy Communion. The Bible said we can't commune without communing. You can't have hatred in your heart for somebody that you're serving. You got to deal with your heart. We're not, we're not properly examining or honoring the body, the body of Christ. There's a man who went into the military, and he, just after he got engaged, he didn't know if he was going to come back. He told his girlfriend, I'm going to write you every single day. And he, not only did he write her, he sent her a picture of him every day during that year that he was away serving in the military. And when he got back, knocked on the door, father answered the door, he said, uh, I'm here <laughs> to marry your daughter. And he's so excited. He said, well, my daughter doesn't live here anymore. He said, well, your daughter don't live here anymore. He said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, she's married. What do you mean she's married? Well, who did she marry? The postman. He sent her pictures, but she married a person. I want you to understand, keep the pictures, keep the symbols, give me Jesus. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him intimately in the same way that I am known. I'm not impressed with symbols. I'm impressed with the Savior. Is Jesus real to you? Do you know his voice? Do you feel what he feels? Does what make him cry make you cry? I don't want to be, thank God for pictures, but I'd rather have my wife than her picture. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's the third principle we're going to run on. You can experience serious consequences when you disrespect God by doing a good thing the wrong way, or putting the symbol of God above the person of God, Uzzah reached out and he touched, took hold of the ark because it was stumbling. It was a good reason. The, the ark was about to fall off of the cart. Who wouldn't have reached out? But God was felt that for God that was an act of disrespect because Uzzah was outside of his anointing. 
He was not called. And so when he touched the ark, the Bible says that God killed him. You can lose your life by disrespecting God. Oh, that's Old Testament. I'm so glad he don't live back then. Well, Paul says, for this reason, some of you are sick, weak, and others of you, God says, has taken out of here. I can just see, oh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira coming into the church. <laughs> we're going to impress these folks with this offering we give but they wait until they hear about what we gave, and they held back a part. And the Holy Spirit revealed it to Pastor Peter. He said, why have you lied to God? Why are you concerned about what people think more than what God knows? You have not lied unto me. You lied to God. So I may be deceived. I might not know. I, I don't know how you really feel about me or what you, how you really live. But God does. And the Bible says when Peter said that the, the last thing that happened for Ananias, he died right on the spot in the church. In the church. Uh, maybe this is where they got the idea of having cemeteries behind the church. The Bible says the young men picked up his body and buried him outside the church. I don't ever want to have a cemetery outside the church. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. You can lose your life by showing your reverence to God. It also is so dangerous when you touch that which is sacred. God doesn't wink at when we mess with sacred things. Marriage is sacred. The Bible says that marriage was created by God, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man do. You can't just decide to divorce somebody for any reason. You can't do that. It's a covenant between you and God, and you will answer to God for doing it. You can't just decide, well, we just will redefine marriage so I can marry who I love. You can't stop me from loving who I love. Well, I may not be able to stop you from loving who you love, but what I know is that the God who created marriage will, will, will bring judgment upon you for redefining what you have no authority to, re to redefine. And as Christians, you don't have, how dare us to be, I like that, two women kissing. No, you can't like that. You're signing off on sin. God says that's an abomination. God didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they tried to rape the angels. No, he sent the angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah before they tried to rape the angels. He said that their sin rose up before the Lord and such. And even though he was angry and, and, uh, and it was uh, uh, obnoxious to him, the sin of homosexuality, the, Abraham said, if there were 100 righteous, would you spare them? He interceded. He said, if there are 50, if there are 30, and he stopped at 10, and God said, if there are 10. I believe if he had stopped at 1, God might have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. But the reason he destroyed them is because they, the, sex is sacred. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible says when we join ourselves to another person that we're not married to, you become one. Sex is the only sin that is against our body, and that's a whole other sermon. So we can't just decide to bed down with who we want to. You can't just hit it and quit it, and it's okay. You become one with that person, that scripture. And some of us who have gone through one relationship after the next, you know how ripped up you are emotionally because of who you've given yourself to. You don't lay down with somebody without giving them your entire self. Everything that you are is involved in that act. It's sacred. 
Marriage is sacred. The tithe is sacred. The Bible says it's holy unto the Lord. When you have, when God has blessed you, you can't withhold the tithe. And the tithe is the gross, not the net. Uncle Sam gets his before you get it. And that's what God expects from us. It's holy. Somebody say amen. Children are, are heritage from the Lord. Children are sacred. Your temple is holy. You can't just do with your body whatever you choose. The Bible says your body is the temple of God. You have been brought with a price. It said, but if any man defiles, it's a dangerous thing to disrespect God with what he has called sacred. That's why we're in the mess we're in. Look at what's happening in the world. Divine judgment is upon us because we have defiled sacred things. We have put, given God the middle finger and he has not backed down. He has released a divine judgment on us. Pastors and elders and deacons and other ordained authority are sacred to God. You read that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Those who have been given leadership over you, as I said, make it easy for them, lest I have to deal with you. That's scriptural. Now, this is, this is just a hang-up of mine, but it, it actually angers me. I work at the hospital. I've been in the chapel for 19 years, and the priest will come, hey, Father, Priest don't even want to be there. He's mad. He's like, and he'll tell you why you calling me. And then he goes into the room and acts like an angel. But Father so and so, Muslim uh, Iman. Hey, Iman so and so. The rabbi. Hey, rabbi. And so we got names for everybody. And then, hey, Tony. Hey, Harry. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I really, I really believe that you should respect the title. I believe that. God, God ordained. I believe that elders should be called elders and deacons should be called deacons. I also believe that women and men, brothers and sisters, put some respect on it. That's all I'm saying. What we have in the church is so out of order. I, I, I know it's cultural. You go to these other churches, hey, Harry, hey, Bill, and then you go to doctor. You go to your, your professor. You ain't calling him Bill. You ain't calling your doctor Harry. We have respect for people outside of spiritual authority and then treat pastors like they're just a, 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 a dime a dozen. No, I'm not a dime a dozen. God has called me. He's called these elders and the deacons to give leadership over you. It's a sacred thing. You remember, uh, I'm almost done the story in 2 Kings chapter 2 of the prophet Elijah who took the place of Elijah. And he's walking, going back to, uh, going back to his house, and a bunch of uh, kids start making fun. And from, from there, Elijah went to Bethel. Let me just read this. He's walking along the road. Some boys came out, out of town, and they, they, they jeered him. They mocked him. Get out of here, baldy. They said, get out of here, bald head. He turned around, he looked at them, and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel, just kept on walking. He just called down a curse on them. Didn't say the bears didn't kill him, <laughs> but they mauled. So they were teasing, making fun of Elijah, who apparently had a bald head. But it's a dangerous thing to make light of what God calls sacred. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Parenting is sacred. You can't just talk to your parents any kind of way and mistreat them. I'm finished with this. You can avoid divine chastisement and judgment from, uh, from God by reverencing him. I'm telling you, you can avoid future chastisement by, rever- by reverencing God in the present. Say reverencing God in the present. So David said, how can I get God home? How can I take him from the church and, and take him with me? How can I get him from where he is to bring him to Jerusalem? He asked, first thing is he asked. So if you want to avoid future judgment, you better start asking God about these, these choices that you're making. And then the Bible says that David decided that he wasn't going to continue to do what he started. So we need to forsake our plans. If you really want to reverence God, he said, Lord, you take the reins. Lord, I'm surrendering to your will. And then we need to do what God says, follow the word. David remembered that the Levites, so he sent the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Eden. Obed-Eden was a Levite. And he observed, oh, where the Ark of the Covenant for three months as long as the Ark of the Covenant was in the right place according to the word of God, God blessed the house of Obed-Eden. So we need to follow. We need to follow God's word. And then we need to flow with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, after David did what God said, he asked, God said, gave him permission. He, he followed the word. He sent the, the Ark to Obed-Eden. He forsook his plan. Then he was able to flow with the Spirit. The Bible says, as the Ark of the Covenant was coming into the center. The Bible said that David began to shout and praise God in ways that he never was able to praise God before. He started taking off his shirt and the ephod, and he was dancing before, Stan was dancing before the Lord, and, and it's giving celebration. The music was playing, the, uh, the, 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 the soldiers and everybody was celebrating, Stan with me. And they were just enjoying the Lord because when you fear the Lord, you can shout right. When you fear the Lord, you can praise him right. When you fearing the Lord, the Spirit of God will have liberty, and he will begin to flow through the church. The Bible says that David danced so hard, he wasn't acting like a king, because you're not a king when you're a worshiper. You're not Because you, worship is not about him or about us. It's about, it's about God. It's about God. And so when you fear the Lord, you don't care what other people think. When you fear the Lord, the Lord will release in the midst of his people a spirit of dancing, a spirit of raising your hands, a spirit of clapping and shouting and and celebrating him in ways that will cause us to know that God is pleased with our presence. Fear him now or fear him later. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you.